as uh, we continue our series in 1 Peter this morning uh, is uh, kind of an interesting topic. We're going to talk about suffering, and so it's something that we all encounter to one point or another over time, uh, whether that's the suffering of, of hitting traffic on Highway 26 as you're heading to the tunnel, or whether that's the suffering of, of illness and death that we encounter uh, somewhere within that range. There's a point in time where all of us encounter some sort of suffering. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about suffering. So what we're going to do this morning before we get into 1 Peter chapter 4 is that we're going to look at kind of a theology of suffering, kind of an overview of why we suffer, what, what causes suffering. Uh, and then we're going to, from the passage, look at how we approach suffering. And then we're going to close by how we can rejoice uh, even during times of suffering. Uh, even within 1 Peter, there's quite a range of suffering. Peter is writing from Rome, where history, uh, tradition tells us that he will eventually be martyred by Nero. And so he's going through suffering. Um, and he talks about those who are maligned because of their beliefs. That could just be, you know, people making fun of you all the way to martyrdom and in, in speaking of Jesus' death for us. So we, we recognize there's this large, large kind of uh, range of suffering, but sometimes we wonder why we suffer. Uh, I had a busy uh, a week this week. Ministry was out all but two nights this week for different ministry things, and the two nights that I wasn't out for ministry things. We had kind of major family things. And so Saturday, I was just exhausted. And, uh, and I was, uh, wasn't able to sleep in because my body clock was still getting up early. I don't know if you guys encountered that. As I get older, it seems like I can't sleep in like I did when I was in high school. And, and uh, so uh, I was up, and uh, my dog was up. And my dog kept looking outside, and then he'd walk over to the drawer where I keep his leash. And then he would walk up to me. And he would paw or bark. And then he had just this little triangle that he was doing for a period of time. Outside, drawer, me. And I, it's not that he wasn't communicating what he wanted. It was that I didn't want to go on a walk. But part of the justification for me of having the expense of a dog is that it makes me do this. And so finally the guilt got me. And I had remembered watching the forecast. And in the morning, the weather person said that there was some scattered showers, but most of those would be north of Portland. It was mostly going to be an overcast day. So I took the leash and the dog, and halfway through the walk, it just started to pour. And so at that point, I knew the cause of my suffering was weather people in general. Uh, they... They are what causes me to suffer. And you know, it's funny, as it's raining really hard, I'm thinking the dog would want to hurry a little bit, but it doesn't bother dogs, no. He still wants to sniff every bush, and I'm trying to go quickly, and I'm soaking wet. Not the way I wanted to start my relaxing Saturday. But there's a whole different wide range of suffering. Why do we suffer? Let me read the passage, and again, we're going to go outside the passage at first, but let's at least get the passage in mind. First, uh, first Peter chapter 4, 
uh, starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, I knew as we read this and we talked about suffering and God's will that some people would just be, just be wrestling with that. So let's just step back a little bit. Why do we suffer? First of all, all suffering, to one degree or another, is a result of sin. God created us in his image, and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And when Adam and Eve are in the garden, there's God's people in God's place, living in God's presence. And in that moment... Everything is the way it should be. There was no suffering. There was no physical suffering because death had not been introduced yet. There was no emotional suffering because sin had not come and divided Adam and Eve. So there was no relational suffering. There was no financial suffering. They had everything that they needed. There wasn't even any intellectual suffering where they, where they disagreed with anything. There was no spiritual suffering. But then sin enters into the world. And at the moment sin enters in, death is now coming, which means physical decay and the breakdown of the body. It means that there's a separation between man and God. It means that there's relational difficulties and emotional. Remember, the first thing that Adam and Eve experience is shame. Now people are competing for resources and disagree on the way that those resources should be used. So we suffer, number one, because of punishment for sin. Now, understand this, that we, we suffer for punishment for sin in two ways, generally and specifically. What do I mean by generally? Well, let's just take a, a case study. You're having a busy day, and you get a call that your, your child or grandchild is sick and you need to go home, but work is also just crazy right now. There's a big project that you're working on, and so you leave 
to head home to deal with the crisis at home. And as you were getting in the car, you kind of toss your phone down in between the seats as you kind of do, and you're driving, and all of a sudden, you're getting text message after text message. And your mind starts spinning. Is that, is that the work thing? Is that the home thing? And just in a moment of weakness, you reach for your phone to look at the text messages and you rear end me. Now, now we've got a problem. Generally, the accident was caused because you sinned. I'm going to call it that. There's laws. Okay, these are not immoral laws that we need to dis disobey. The laws have been set. You broke the law and you caused an accident. So your sin caused a natural consequence. Now, in the accident, you bang up your knee, and you know, last year I, I broke my wrist and I, my wrist got re hurt. So, the natural consequence every time your knee hurts, you go, Oh, yeah, I was text messaging. Now, the police come and they deduce that you were text messaging. So, what do they do? You get another natural consequence a little letter from the police department. And then you're going to get a future letter from your insurance company, and the natural consequences just go. Now, not only that, you've, you've had natural consequences, you've had direct punishment, but you know what? I'm also hurting. And why am I hurting? I'm hurting because of sin, not my sin, because other people have sinned. That's just the reality of suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes we suffer because sin is going on all around us. And we all are in this point now of suffering. Now, I would say to one degree or another, all suffering is a result of the fall and therefore is under this umbrella. But there's other reasons why we suffer. Sometimes we directly suffer because God is disciplining us or correcting us. Now, we don't have time to go through all these verses. There's a list of verses on your notes. If this is something you want to go a little bit deeper on, look at those, look at some cross-references, dig a little bit deeper. But from 1 Corinthians, when, when Paul is talking about um, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, he says, before we come to the table, we're to examine ourselves. And then he says, this is why... Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So sometimes we encounter pain and suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, because God is trying to get our attention. And he's trying to say, you need to get back on the right track. Now, here's where some of you grew up in church and you have a really guilty conscience. And if you grew up in a Baptist church, people helped you uh, obtain that guilty conscience. And so every time you're suffering, for me in the church, there was a little old lady that was sitting off in the corner going, what did you do to deserve that? Now, we just said, sometimes we sin because or we suffer because of our sin. Sometimes we suffer because there's just sin around us. It's not always quite like that, but it, it, it is wise 
when we are suffering, to check in with God, to examine ourselves, to make sure that there isn't a need for a corrected direction. It's okay to to pause, to pray, and to seek. Now, sometimes we encounter persecution as a Christian. Now, we've come up with this already in 1 Peter. Sometimes people malign you, they leave you out, they they don't include you, whatever it is. Uh, they, They don't appreciate your beliefs, they don't appreciate the title of being a follower of Jesus, Uh, they don't like you, and so for whatever reason, you encounter persecution uh, to one degree or another, and we know historically that could be everything from you don't get this job to uh, we're going to take your life. And so there are times that we are persecuted for being a follower of Jesus, but most of us today, that's very minimal uh, anything. Now, there can be situations in which we are being tested. In fact, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, do not be surprised as that fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So there are times when we are undergoing suffering in which we are being tested. Now, underneath that on your notes, here's some things that testing does when we are undergoing that. First of all, it can lead us to repentance. When we're being tested, possibly because uh, we're off track or because we're not thinking through, that test can lead us to repentance. And there was a time when Jesus is walking with his disciples and this discussion comes up of this uh, tragedy that happens where some sort of tower fell on people. And so the disciples bring up the question, yeah, what did they do to deserve that? Okay, And it was just the belief of the day that if something bad happened to you, God was judging you. And so the disciples are asking a theological question to their teacher. Why did that happen? What, what did they do to deserve that tragedy? Why were they involved in the car wreck? Why, why did the car pull out in front of them or the truck? Or why did they get sick? So... Jesus, why did this happen? And and Jesus basically says, you're missing the point. He says, of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said, look, sometimes death happens and it's a good reminder that you better have your life right with Christ. It's not that they were worse, it's that we're all going to die one day, and it should lead us to repentance. Next, that testing, sometimes it leads us to greater reliance on Christ. And I think this is especially true today. There are so many things that we rely on, that we put our trust in, our bank accounts our health care, our medicines, our connections, whatever it is. And when we, when we say, I've got everything all kind of lined up so that when I encounter this, it's all taken care of. And Paul shares that he had an issue 
We think it might have been physical. It could have been something with his eyes. And he asked God to remove it. This is the apostle Paul. And he said, God, this, you know, this, is, this is painful. This is difficult. This is causing me to slow down. This, is, this isn't you know, expressing the kingdom of God. Whatever Paul said to God. And God said, no. I'm not going to remove it. And said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But God, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's so many times where Paul goes, look, I recognize this ailment. God was humbling me. This, this situation, God wanted me to rely on him. And sometimes we're brought to that point in suffering where we go, I don't know what I should do. And God's like going, here I am. Now, sometimes suffering or difficulties lead us to righteousness. In Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. You say, man, I feel like God just keeps catching me. I feel like God keeps you know, calling me out on stuff. And I just, man, I, can I just have some peace? I just wish God would leave me alone for a little bit and just be reminded if God's doing that to you, it's because he loves you. If God hasn't checked in for a while and slapped your hand in a while, you might want might to check in with him because he disciplines people whom he loves. He corrects them. Ultimately, suffering can lead to reward. Blessed are you when others revile you or persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, from Matthew chapter 5. Now, back to our passage this morning. And in the final one, just kind of in your notes there, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Oftentimes, suffering leads us to reflect, to reflection on Christ's work. Jesus was the one who went before us, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God who suffered at the hands of his creation for you and for me. And he says, sometimes we just need to reflect that our Savior also suffered. And we need to keep that in mind. If he suffered, we too will suffer. If he overcame, we too will overcome. If there was hope for eternity for Christ, there's hope in eternity for us. There's something yet to come, and we look at that pattern and we reflect on it. So those are often the testing. Some other reasons why we, uh, we encounter suffering, again, to prevent spiritual problems, I'm talking about Paul and whatever issue he had. Sometimes we could suffer vicariously 
for another's penalty. Somebody might step up and say, I'm going to bear that. Now, we don't encounter that that often. It's what Jesus did for us. But sometimes, and especially in a marriage relationship, you might step in and take the blunt of something to protect your spouse. And you just do that out of love. That's, that's maybe a suffering that you go through. But you might say, at this moment, I feel like I could bear that more than they could. Now, there's some suffering that we wish. Oh, we wish we could take it, but we can't. But I think all of us in, in moments, whether it's for our kids or our grandkids or our spouse, if we can, we'll step out in front of that. And then also, suffering teaches us empathy for another's situation. Now, um, I'm not always, and I recognize this, um, about myself, I'm not always the most empathetic person. Um, my wife and I are, are working with uh, the Gilberts and some others that are doing this uh, Safe Families. I've shared a little bit about it. It's a ministry that tries to come in before foster and care and stuff and cares for children. And the Gilberts have been doing that. And we have been doing some coaching. And so Jeannie and I are getting ready to do that. And uh, Martha kind of, kind of, bamboozled us a little bit. She said, hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to be our coach? And we go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can do that. And then we get into it. And like the coach, the coach doesn't just help the family, but the coach works with the, with the parents and getting them back on track and getting them to do everything that they need to do to get their kids back in a healthy environment. So I'm like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. And, and so my wife and I went through our final interview this week. And, and so the gal says, that, well, now, are you guys do you want to do separate coaching or coaching together? And I said, you don't want to separate us. <laughs> Janine is the mercy and I'm the law, <laughs> right? Janine is the hugger and I'm the, hey, did you get your checklist done? Okay, and so we, we are going to work together in this. And so I recognize sometimes that I need other people around me, but the idea of when you have gone through something, um, and there's this great uh, illustration online, I should probably should have downloaded it, but there's somebody who's in a pit, and they, they're trying to teach the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy, the person is sitting up on the top going, hey, you okay down there? Do you need anything? Empathy is when the person goes down into the pit with the person and says, what can we do? And so when I, I purposely use the word empathy here in your notes, the church isn't called to go, hey, that looks bad. Call me when you get out. The church is called to crawl down there sometimes and sit with those who are struggling. And oftentimes we're able to do that because we've gone through that. We've been in the pit. So there's seven different things there from your notes that reasons why we encounter suffering that God is using for good. 
And I, I don't know if you've ever thought about all the different reasons why we suffer. But I think it's helpful to stop for a moment and go, there's some things going on here. Now, how do we approach suffering when we're going through? How do we, how do we deal with it? How do we approach it? What, what do we do in the midst of it? Well, here's some things from the passage today. We approach suffering as children who are loved. Now, he says here uh, in uh, this passage, in verse 12, he starts with beloved. Beloved, don't be surprised. Beloved. He only uses that term twice in the entire epistle. He uses it here and in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners. And then he's going to go into that whole passage on being subject to authorities. So there's two times where Peter's about to deal with something difficult and he addresses us as those who are loved. In the midst of whatever suffering you are going through, physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever suffering, whatever difficulty that you are going through, if you are a follower of Jesus, just pause for a moment and be reminded that God loves you. Now, here's the problem with that thought. I'm saying that, and you're kind of going, yeah, I know that, but here's the problem. If God loves me, then why doesn't he stop me from having to undergo suffering. Go back to the first half of the sermon. Because God may be using that suffering because he loves you to bring you someplace else, someplace better, growth. Now, you say, well, why can't God just give me a word Dave, stop doing that. Because we learn. Look, we all told our kids certain things. When we lived in the mountains of McCall, we had a very odd family rule. We told our kids they could not run on the driveway. You mean, terrible parents, you. Our driveway was black asphalt. And in the winter, when that black asphalt got wet, it would freeze. And when you would run on it, you would go flying. So we made a rule. Don't run on the driveway. Inevitably, one of the kids did. And they went flying. They conked their head, and they came in crying. And I said, I told you not to do that, therefore I'm going to punish you. No. That's why mom and dad said don't run in the driveway. And then we said, this is called a natural consequence. Hey, look, there are reasons. Now, that suffering, that head pain, that was a much better lesson than thou shalt not run on the driveway. It cured it. That's true for us too, isn't it? 
But here's the other thing that's true of us, right? We stick our head into something, we, we get into something, and we encounter pain and suffering, and we go, I'm not going to do that again till next week. <laughs> till next time the opportunity affords itself. When I was in college, I worked at a restaurant, and I was a good little Baptist kid, so I didn't do very much on the weekends, right? But all my friends would come in on the shift. The worst shift to work was the Saturday or Sunday morning restaurant shift because all my co-workers weren't feeling so good. And I don't know how many times I heard them say this exact phrase, I will never drink again. But then next Saturday, there they were. Sometimes the pain doesn't teach us, but it's there to point us in the right direction because God loves us. Because God loves us. The other way we approach suffering is as people who are aware. Don't be surprised. Look, the reason why I gave you all seven of those different things, and I'm sure there's more, why I gave you a theology of suffering is I don't want you to be surprised. I have this great illustration, but I'm so afraid to use it. So let me preface this by saying, I don't usually watch Ellen, but for some reason, some reason this came up on my feed, and I don't know if you watch the show, I don't, but she has this tradition, she's a talk show host if you don't know, around Halloween she sends one of her co-workers into a haunted house. And she's been doing this to the same coworker for several years. And so I just caught the clip of this this year online somewhere, and he's going through with some singer, actress, person, I don't know who she was. And they, go, they open the door of the haunted house. And he's, like, he's going in like just a few little steps at a time, and she's got his arm, and as soon as they go through the door, she jumps up in the air, and he turns and he says, they don't jump at you that quickly. And the guy has been through the haunted house. First person that jumps out, man, he was like a six-year-old girl. He just whoop, way up in the sky screaming and crying. Oh, it was hilarious. I see why Ellen does it to him. But here's the thing. He's a grown man. He knows it's fake. He even knows they can't touch him. I think he says that when she jumps up. She goes, don't worry, they can't touch us. And then... Third, he knows something's going to jump out at him. And yet he is miserable. Look, knowing that suffering is coming doesn't always help, does it? Okay, it's not something we go, oh, that's all right. It's just, you know, death, taxes, and suffering. No, we don't want, we don't want that. Okay, but we know it's there, and so we're not, un, we're not surprised by it. When it comes, we stop and we go, okay, what? What do I know? I know that God loves me. I know that I'm not supposed to be surprised, but I know that God may be using this to teach me and to grow me. I know that I might just be encountering suffering because there's sin in the world and there's nothing we can do about it. And so we, we think through it. We also, and here's, this is hard, but we also approach it with joy. Verse 13 but rejoice insofar 
as you share Christ's suffering. So when we're, when we're undergoing suffering, just because we're a follower of Jesus, we can go, woohoo! And I, I'm undergoing suffering because they see Christ in me. Now, how can we have joy in this? Well, again, because of the love of God. We can be reminded that God loves us. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. I know that for some of you, and as your pastor and shepherd, I see it. I know the pain physically. I know the pains emotionally. I know some of the pains relationally, things that haven't been wrapped up. I know some of the pains that people are going through financially and have gone on. And I wish that pastors had a little you know, prayer or wand or something where I can go, be done with it. But I can't. And so I, I have to remind myself and I have to remind you that God loves us. That the pain that we encounter is not all our fault. It's because of sin. And God loved us so much that he says, the, the main part of suffering I have to take care of in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we can get beyond this. And I have a plan to get us beyond this, but you got to follow me. And we need to keep being reminded of God's love. We also are reminded of the power of God. Whatever you want to do with verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. Understand that suffering sometimes is this just overflow of sin in our life that just kind of gets dumped on us. But sometimes God chooses to allow us to go through something for a purpose. And so in that midst, I'm going to go, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you're doing something here. We're also reminded of the promises of God. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests. There's something to know that, that God is working in the midst of that and that he has a future plan, which, by the way, includes us getting back to the garden, being God's people in God's presence, in God's place with abundance. There's promises. And wherever you're at, whatever suffering that you are going through, Please hear this. God is present with you. He has not left you. If you were a follower of Jesus, you are filled with his spirit. He is with you. And then again, we have this hope, this overarching hope that God is going to bring us back into his, his permanent presence and glory. So we approach suffering as children that are love, people who are aware. We approach it with joy. And here's just, a, I just love the fact that Peter just has to put this out there in verse 15. We avoid suffering that we might deserve. He says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. 
It's good advice. Or a thief. Or an evildoer. <laughs> Look at the last one on the list. Or a meddler. Hey, you know, don't kill anybody. That's good advice. Yeah, I should, I should, uh, should heed that. I shouldn't steal anything. I get that. Evil. Ooh, I don't want to be involved in evil. I am tempted to meddle in people's business, however. I do like to insert myself. In fact, I've heard people say, I think it's my gift. Let me tell you, it's not. <laughs> and if you are having relational difficulties because you can't keep your mouth shut, you, that's a natural consequence. That's just there. Peter says, look, don't bring, don't add any suffering by being, it's in the Greek. Don't add to any of your suffering by being stupid is really what he's saying there. Sometimes we just see that. Now, we also do it without shame. If we're suffering and God is present and we're doing it for the person of Jesus Christ, we know in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. We don't encounter this uh, very much. I shared with you, and I meant to bring the author, and I didn't again. Uh, I read a really uh, good book. It was entitled um, Witnessing as Exile or, or Exile, Being a Witness in Exile, and it's on First Peter. Um, and uh, the guy who wrote it uh, was uh, a missionary for many years in Muslim countries. And uh, he's just talking about how when they did have somebody come to Christ, they were often exiled. And he said sometimes, he just shared a few stories where he just, God led him to this, this person and one of them was this, this young girl and, and they lead her to Christ and he's looking around, there's nobody in that town that was a follower of Jesus. Not, the, not that there wasn't a church. He knew of no other believer and so eventually, dad kicked her out, stopped paying for college, wouldn't let her back in the house. And, and this missionary is miles and miles and miles away, and he, he finally gets back to her, and what does he find? He finds a little girl who's suffering, but who has joy. And I think, man, how often do we get stuck in the wrong checkout line and lose our cool? How often do we just go, oh man, I didn't like the music on Sunday and we just lose it. Pastor went too long and I had to wait in line at Elmer's. Oh, I suffer for being a Christian with a long-winded pastor, whatever. Peter's saying, look, if you're really suffering for being a follower of Jesus, rejoice in it. Don't be, don't be ashamed. And then he says in verse 17, and we're going to come back to this next week. Um, I mean, we get to these passages and we want to go a little bit deeper. And for this one, we get to 
Verse 17, for the time of judgment, for it is time for judgment to begin. And what we want Peter to say was with those people out there that are making our life miserable. That's not what he says. He says, judgment is coming and it's going to start with the church. Now he uses household of God there. Now understand that the churches he was writing to met in little houses. They were the family of God. He said those household churches, those followers of Jesus, the household of God, that's where judgment is going to begin. It's going to start with the meddlers first and work its way up to the murderers. And so how we approach suffering is, is listen, listen church, catch this. The way that we approach suffering is in such a way that we are ready to meet the Lord. That if our suffering ends in death, we are ready to go face to face with Jesus. That we take care of on this side what we need to take care of because the judgment is going to start with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? So finally, what causes us to be able to rejoice in the midst of suffering? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We rejoice in our rescuer. We rejoice in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We rejoice because sin no longer has to end in eternal death and separation from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. We rejoice that God sent his son. We rejoice in the rescuer. We rejoice in the person of Jesus. Second, we rejoice, uh, I'm sorry, I confused those, so I wondered why you were all looking at the overhead. I, some, it's, so, it's so funny, when you're pre I'm preaching, and I'm suffering because they're not following me, but I don't know why. We rejoice in our rescue, and we rejoice in our rescuer. Our rescue, the idea that our sin separated us from God. God says to Adam, don't eat of the tree or you will surely die. Something amazing in the story happens there. They eat. Now, if you're reading it, what are you waiting for? I mean, I just bite of the apple, just, or pomegranate or fig or whatever it was, I don't know. You expect instant death. That's not what happens. Death now enters the picture. I'm separated 
from walking with God in the cool of the evening. There is a relational break. And God gives this vague but amazing conversation with Adam and Eve. And he says, one is going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent is going to bite the heel of the rescuer. Now, there's a few things there. One, we're introduced to this snake in the garden who's opposed to God's kingdom. It's challenging God's kingdom, questioning his reign. And so we're living in a battle zone. Now, most of us, I don't think any of us, but maybe I'll just say most of us, probably never lived in a, uh, you know, outside of, of maybe military, but, but lived in a home that was in a battle. Now, if you were living in a war-torn battle city, you do things differently. You don't send your kids to the grocery store. And we're, we're told right from the beginning that there's a battle going on and we're in between it. So we shouldn't be surprised. And God says this rescuer is going to come. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. Yay! But he's going to bite the heel. Now, what happens when a deadly snake bites your heel? Death. And so you're wondering, how does this, how does this all work out? And we see the rescuer comes and he crushes sin on the cross. Satan bites his heel and that Jesus dies. But then God comes in with a twist in the story. Says, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection. And so we have this beautiful story of the rescue and the rescuer. And then finally, we rejoice in our partnership. And what I mean by that is we get to be a part of this bigger story in introducing people to the rescue and the rescuer. What an amazing thing that God uses people like you and me to just be a part of this story that's been happening since creation. And he says, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be involved in it. I want you to come along with me on this journey. So what do we say by way of application this morning? I, again, I can look out there. I can name different sufferings. I can see it. Um, I, I, I've talked with some of you about it. I, I, I feel it. But we have to be reminded that we shouldn't be surprised by it. We need to have a proper view of suffering and understand this side of heaven that it is going to be something that is just a part of our life. It's just there. And I hope this morning, regardless of what you're going through, that you can rejoice in God's love. I hope you can be reminded to just rejoice in the fact that God loves you, that God has pursued you, that God has been your rescuer, that he rescued you because of his great love. And I, and I should say in that this morning that if you're here and, and you have not 
chosen to follow Jesus Christ, if you've not said, I confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and that you're in need of his saving work in your life, if you haven't decided to follow him and followed him in the waters of baptism, that this morning, I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus because if you want to experience God's love, you first have to give yourself to the fact that you need to be loved by him. That you, you need him in your life. So we can rejoice in the fact that we have a rescuer and then finally, uh, we can rejoice in God's promises. Uh, we just did this, this whole series, Pastor Frank led in... in uh, being prepared for death, and, and I was given the last topic of heaven, um, and uh, you know, it's a funny thing, you do a topic on death, mostly older people came, but you know, um, and so I just asked the group, I said, what do we know about heaven? What do we know about heaven? And, and let me give you this too, I said, I said, what do we know about heaven, and what can you back up from scripture? Kind of limits the conversation a little bit. And most of the people in that room have been following Jesus for, well, to be honest, longer than I've been alive. But when it comes to the topic of heaven, sometimes we get tripped up. We don't really know a whole bunch. And so just for a moment, um, I want you to go back to the beginning of this message. And I'm not going to preach that other message, but one of the things that I have said is we are too often of looking at heaven over here somewhere instead of looking back to what heaven originally was. And it's getting back to the garden, being God's people, living in God's place, living continually in his presence with abundance and peace and joy. And we, as followers of Jesus, have that promise of getting to go home. We use that term sometimes around the church a little lightly. And we might say when somebody passes, so-and-so went home to be with the Lord. But I don't know if you really ever stop to think about what we're trying to say there. Sometimes after a long week, after when work has been hard, when ministry has been hard, when traffic has been difficult, whatever it is, you just go, you know what I want to do? I want to go home. And that's what God promises for those who trust and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and for the difficult topic of suffering. We thank you Uh, for the opportunity to wrestle honestly with your word and apply it to our lives. And God, I I look out and I know that there are those who are suffering with physically with ailment, with age. I know as I look out, there are those who are struggling financially. That there are those who are enduring broken relationships or the hurt of broken relationships. I know that there are those that even in this room are disconnected with others. There are those who think, I just think differently than this group of Christians and I don't know if I'll ever fit in. There's just different degrees of struggle, of disconnect. But we come together as lovers and followers of Jesus Christ.
And we pray that that would unite us in hope, in love, and in unity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.